Let's begin in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for everything you give us in Scripture, Lord, that pertains to life and godliness. We thank you for clarity that you give us, Lord, clarity that you call us to. And I pray this morning that as I give forth our message, Lord, that, it are, that we have clarity in regards to your words, Lord, that it is your word that goes forth, convicts, strengthens, encourages, empowers each and every one of us to study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, and finding clarity and not being ashamed in your word, Lord. I thank you for all that you give us, Lord. I ask that you go before me in this message. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to begin talking to you this morning about the hope of Israel as seen through the prophets. The reason being that what we've been doing here for the past couple weeks at our church is talking about the hope of Israel, the resurrection of the dead. Prayerfully, I have begun to convict you of the synonym between the hope of Israel and the resurrection of the dead, that you use them synonymously. That you would, when you read of the resurrection of the dead, you would think of the hope of Israel. When you think of the hope of Israel, you would think of the resurrection of the dead. One of the ways that we can bolster this, one of the ways that this becomes important is by going back to the prophets. And that's exactly what we're going to begin doing today. I'm going to be on a radio program tomorrow morning, Monday morning, talking a little bit about Bible prophecy, how Bible prophecy is fulfilled. And one of the things that had been mentioned to me was that there's somebody that called into that show talking about Russia. Is Russia in Bible prophecy and soon to come against that nation state of Israel? This is seen as the fulfillment of Gog and Magog that you read about in Ezekiel chapters 38 through 39. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take us into a little bit of the beginning of that. I want us to see the hope of Israel as drawn out through the prophet Ezekiel. What I want to do before I get into Ezekiel is I want to highlight the psalm, the, the responsive psalm that we read this morning, and highlight how this, has to, this leads us into the thoughts of what we read about in Ezekiel. Here, King David, during his time, recognized the adversaries of Israel coming against the people, and This is what he uttered. O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be still. And O God, do not be still. Do not be silent. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, the Moabites and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalekite, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria has joined with them. They have become a help to the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera and Jabin at the torrent of Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became as dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb and all their princes like Zeboth and Zalmunna, who said, let us possess for ourselves the pastures of God. Oh my God, make them like the whirlwind dust, like chaff before the wind, like fire that burns the forest, and like a flame that sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm, that their faces will be filled with dishonor, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever, and let them be humiliated and perish, that they may know you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. You see, King David knew in his day 
that Israel was not living up to what they had been called to be. And he's seen the many judgments, the failures of Israel to live out their covenant relationship. And he saw the enemies of God begin to be built up against Israel because they desired the pastures of God. They desired the presence of God. It's very important that we we understand the way the ancients looked at the promises of God. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, he wrote a book about prophetic imagination. And the reason that is so important, and I bring that up before you this morning, is because when we're reading the prophets, we need to get into their imagination. We need to allow their thoughts to captivate us. We need to understand the terms that they're using and how they applied to that generation. I was... Ezekiel for Halloween one year and I got to dress up, put on the beard, put on the whole outfit and uh, part of my goal in that year was to really understand the prophecy of Ezekiel, to really live as him, to be able to convey that truth and uh, when I was first led to Christ, Ezekiel was one of the prophets that I was the most uh, absorbed in and you know he was told to take a scroll and eat it and you're going to see how this leads into what we read in Revelation as well. The Apostle John was told to take a scroll and eat it as well. And when they ate this scroll, it would be sweet as honey. It would be good news to them. It would be refreshing. However, it would hurt their stomach because ultimately when it settled, the truth of that, that, uh, that message, that scroll, when it settled, it would hurt. Both times this was speaking in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, both times it's speaking to the calamities that will come upon God's people. The prophet Ezekiel was told, Son of man, sit upon the wall and watch and let the nations know what is about to happen. In Ezekiel, you read about restoration and gathering, resurrection, inhabiting the nations, Israel's enemies, and the mountains. Mountains are a topic in and of themselves. We're going to see a little bit of that in our text this morning. So it's important that we develop this prophetic imagination, that we look at the way, the, you know, the bigger picture of what this prophet is conveying. And we also use audience relevance. And we also understand how these would have been received by the audience that was being spoken to. For example, Ezekiel is speaking to a people that are in exile in Babylon. 586 BC, the Babylonians came into the city of Jerusalem and took them captive. So he's speaking to a 6th century people that were very agricultural. The land meant everything to Israel. And they look at themselves as dead now because they're in bondage, they're in slavery, they're in captivity. They're not in the land under God's rule, living out the reality, or at least seeking to live out the reality of the kingdom of God. More often than not, confusion in regards to what Ezekiel is talking to, highlighting and pointing to, um, is a failure to understand the language, the context, and the historical narrative of what was happening with the prophet Ezekiel. We're going to gain some clarity in that regard this morning. So I've already highlighted Psalm chapter 83. Psalm 83 shows us the uh, how... The ancient people would have understood that when they were living in the land, they were, had the favor of God, they were being prospered by their God. That meant their God loved them, that, that meant their God was at peace with them, and that meant their God was powerful. So when they see themselves as displaced in another land, under captivity, God's favor doesn't seem to be on their face. They looked at themselves as dead, in need of resurrection, and they looked at it as though their God either was angry at them or their God was not powerful, especially the nations. The nations would look at them and say their God was either angry with them or not powerful. And a lot of times the boast of the nations would be, you know, your God does not love you. Your God does not care about you. Your God is not more powerful than Baal, Moloch, Asherah, and all these false gods that you see throughout scripture. When the people are not prospering and God's favor is not seemingly upon them, they are dead to him. 
God's promise in the Bible is resurrection for his people. Always restoration, that he will bring about a time where his face will shine upon them. So Ezekiel writes in the midst of such a time. I want to highlight a little bit of the chronology of what's going on here in Ezekiel. I want to read verses, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 7 through 23, just to give you a little bit of the historical picture from Ezekiel's words himself. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 17. Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanliness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I have poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they have shed on the land because they have defiled it with their idols. Also I have scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout all the lands according to their ways and their deeds I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my name there. Because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. Again, you see that shame, that dishonor. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore say the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. So God is about to do something. He is about to act, not necessarily on behalf of Israel, but on his own behalf, to demonstrate his own justice, his own power, his own righteousness, in the midst of Israel failing out to point to him, failing to live out the reality of the kingdom of God, which would point to him. Another text I want to show us is Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 14 through 15. Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly, and a mighty army, and you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you, before their eyes, O Gog. So we're seeing a picture here of God bringing his people back to restoration and then the enemies of God coming up against his nation and we're going to see uh, what is going to happen to those enemies. Ultimately, what is going to happen to Israel? We're not going to focus on the enemies today. We're going to focus on Israel and their promise and how they expected their promise to be fulfilled through what we're reading about here in Ezekiel, these judgments that are coming upon the land. So the four things we're going to think about today as we get into this message further is what was about to happen? What was Israel hoping for? Again, that's our highlighting point there. How would it happen? That's another interesting point to highlight. And what does it mean for us today? Good? So let's get right into the text here in Ezekiel chapter 36. And you, son of man, verse 1, Prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has spoken against you. Aha! And the everlasting heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, for good reason they have made you desolate and crushed you from every side, that you would become a possession to the rest of the nations and would have been taken up in the talk and whispering of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. 
Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the ravines and to the valleys and to the desolate wastes and to the forsaken cities which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations which are round about. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all of Edom who have appropriated my land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and with scorn of soul to drive it out for a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and to the hills and to the ravines and to the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my wrath because you have endured the insults of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have sworn that surely the nations which are round about you will themselves endure their insults. But you, O mountain of Israel, you will put forth your branches and you will bear fruit for my people, for they will soon come. For behold, I am for you and I will turn to you and you will be cultivated and sown. So let's stop there for a moment here. Prophesying to the mountains of Israel, right? These are the people. The mountains represent the people. And the mountains of Israel being prophesied to that they will be restored, that right now the nations are boasting. The nations are saying, look, we have their land. We've taken them captive. Again, we talked about that northern captivity that happened in 722 B.C. at the hands of the Assyrians. Then we look at what was happening in Ezekiel's time at the hands of the Babylonians in 586 B.C., the captivity that happened there, the 70 years that Israel would be taken captive for to, to endure God's punishment, his judgment upon them. We read here that God is going to act. God is going to restore Israel. God is going to put their enemies asunder. They will endure their insults. I am for you. Remember how important I said that was, that God would be for them, that he would put their enemies asunder. When they were taken into captivity and their enemies looked as though they're victorious, it looks as though the one true God is not there, not paying attention, or does not love his people. And again, he had always promised restoration. So in order for God to be faithful, that restoration must come. Continuing into verse 10, I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities will be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. I will multiply on you man and beast and they will increase on you and you will be fruitful and I will cause you to be inhabited as you were formerly and will treat you better than at first. Thus you will know that I am the Lord God. Yes, I will cause men, my people Israel, to walk on you and possess you so that you will become the inheritance and never again bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you are a devourer of men and have bereaved your nation of children. Therefore, you will no longer devour men, no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. I will not let you hear insults from the nations anymore. Nor will you bear disgrace from the people any longer. Nor will you cause your nation to stumble any longer, declares the Lord God. You see, it's important to hold on to what they're hoping for here. They look shameful to the nations around them. They're not following that covenant they were given in Deuteronomy chapter 4, where they were told that if they listened to the ordinances of God, they listened to the statutes of God, that they would be a light to the nations, that they would be a people that the nations look to and see the one true God. They're not manifesting the kingdom of God reality. It's important to notice this here. It's important to notice what Ezekiel is pointing to, a judgment upon these enemies. Again, what we read in Psalm chapter 83. Continuing into verse 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land. Actually, I'm not going to continue reading through that. I'm going to pick up at verse 23 because we read that in the beginning here. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. 
which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Again, I express that when God's favor is shown, when they're in the land under his law, under his rule, that is when his favor is shown and Israel shines the brightest. His people shine the brightest when his favor is being shown in and through them. He will gather them. Then I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will be put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk within my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So God is about to institute his righteousness inside of his people. That was the promise. What we're reading here is new covenant language. This is the transition of a covenant. Israel, under that law, that law of sin and death, that law of blessings and curses, that law that was life and death to them, could not manifest the kingdom of God nor the righteousness of God, could not manifest what they were called to do. And therefore, the hope of Israel was to enable them to manifest that reality. That's the hope of Israel. Because they were dead when they lived in disobedience. They were outside the land when they lived in disobedience, which symbolized God's not happy with them. His favor is not being seen in and through them. That doesn't glorify God because God has set up his people to be his image to the nations. So when his people aren't walking in obedience and not shining as a jewel in a crown to borrow from the book of Hosea, or they're not shining as the brightness of the firmament in the sky to borrow the promise of Daniel, when they're not doing that, God is not being glorified as he has designed. And in order for him to be faithful to his word, he must glorify himself. He must establish and restore and resurrect his people. Continuing into verse 28. You will live in the land I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanliness. I will call for the grain and multiply it. I will not bring a famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree, the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways, your deeds that were not good. You will loathe them in yourselves in the sight of your iniquities, your abominations. I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you, From your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say the desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate and ruined cities and fortified, inhabited. Then the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. Thus the Lord God said, This also I will do to the house of Israel. Ask me... To do for them, I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock for sacrifices, like a flock at Jerusalem during appointed feasts. So will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Again, we noted that all the context here is about going into the land. This is very similar to what we read in our Sunday school in reference to Joel chapter 2, the promise of restoration. Again, Even going back to the time of Joel, the people of God were promised restoration from the Assyrian captivity. Then during Ezekiel's captivity, they were promised restoration. All of this pointing up to the time of the Messiah. All of this ultimately pointing up to when that Messiah would come and would fulfill all of these details. 
the promise of resurrection. Here in Ezekiel chapter 37, we get welcomed into what we would call a resurrection text. I want you to read through this and and listen as we go through it and tell me what sort of resurrection was being hoped for. Prayerfully already, as we went through Ezekiel chapter 36, you're already conjuring up images of what was to be expected. Now, let me say this. Israel was not obsessed with agricultural promises. That imagination of the prophet is using those agricultural promises of fruit increasing, men increasing, to highlight the reality of a people that God's favor is being seen in and through. That's the resurrection reality. The kingdom of God. The mystery of God fulfilled. The hope of Israel fulfilled. The righteousness of God, the power, the truth of God being seen in and through his people. So let's look at what Ezekiel has to say about the resurrection. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of it by the Spirit and set me in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. They were very dry, again dry, showing that they were almost ready to be crushed to powder. Right? They're dead, dead. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, oh, Lord, you know. See, Ezekiel's a man of faith. He knows that God could bring life into anything. Looking at Israel in their natural state, disobedient to God. Can these bones live? Is there any hope? Oh, yes, there is. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is what's going to bring life. Amen. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you so that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, flesh grew on the skin and covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That's very important, an exceedingly great army, because that's essentially the promise that we're seeing in the book of Joel as well, that God was building up his people. The promise to his people would be that you look weak and desolate right now. You look destroyed right now, but you will be built up to be an exceedingly great army when the Lord accomplishes his work. That was the hope of Israel, that they would be seen as an exceedingly great army, that they would be a victorious people, that the favor of God would be seen in and through, rather than a desolate people who looked broken, destroyed, and defeated. Now, I imagine as I was reading through that text, you began to conjure up images of what I like to call the zombie apocalypse. I want to put that to death because Ezekiel explains to us what that vision was about. And he hardly brings it into that that image of what we have about bodies coming out of graves and all of these details that people get rather uh, silly with. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. See, they were cut off. They were dead to God. They seen themselves in a land desolate, broken away, broken covenant with God, that the promises of God were not being seen manifested in and through them. So they looked as though they were dead. They were dried up dead bones. Their hope seemed to have been gone. Again, highlighting the hope of Israel. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, 
I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Now, he's not saying that there's going to be a zombie apocalypse and he's going to bring them into the land of Israel. This is a promise of restoration. Corporate promise of restoration. Then you will know that I am the Lord and I will have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and then I will place you in your own land. Then you will know I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. This is actually what Jesus referred to in John chapters 5 through 6. This is the text that Jesus is drawing that from, that hope of resurrection, which many people unfortunately posit as some future resurrection where bodies will come out of graves. That was not the context. The context is restoration, national restoration, so that they will truly manifest the reality of the kingdom of God. A corporate hope. Not a single hope that I'll get a new body one day. How you arrive at that from reading that text, I have no idea. We just need to read the Bible. Then you continue reading verses 15 through 23, and you read about the bringing of, Ju- of the to two scattered parts of Israel, the northern tribes and the southern tribes, Judah and Israel, back into one stick. He will take the sons of Israel from the nations where they had gone. I will gather them from every side and bring them into the land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king will be king for them, and they will no longer be divided by two nations. Again, putting to death the promises that came through the kingdom of David and Solomon. Now they'll be gathered under one shepherd. Actually, you continue reading into verses 24 all the way up into Ezekiel chapter 38, and you read about the reality of the Davidic kingdom. Israel resurrected to enjoy that reality they had under King David. They will have one shepherd. Again, if you don't correlate that to Jesus, then you're not reading the Bible. You're not familiar with the New Testament. The picture the New Testament is conveying of how Jesus is fulfilling the prophets. Jesus is everything Ezekiel longed for. Jesus is everything Ezekiel pointed to and made the people of Israel hope for. It wouldn't be a national restoration. What's being realized through Jesus Christ is that it was not a national restoration of the children of Abraham. The children of Abraham were being realized from Jew and Gentile. The children of Abraham that Jesus and John the Baptist began to establish right there in that first century are those that worship Jesus Christ through faith. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in Galatians chapter 3. You see, what was happening? I alluded to that in the beginning of our message. What was happening? Well, we have already asserted that this was vengeance upon God's enemies who were boasting in the sight of his people. The next question I asked you was what was being hoped for? We've asserted, as we read through Ezekiel chapter 36 through 37, there's plenty of things that there's hope for. Actually, as you continue, there's even more into chapter 39. And I want to highlight some of those for you. I'm going to go through some of the things they were hoping for. They were hoping to bear fruit. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 8. We know as Christians today that that fruit was, is only comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the parable of the vine that if you're not uh, connected to the vine, you will bear no fruit. We need to be connected to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that bearing fruit promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of the, the spirit being found in and through the church, his presence being found in and through the church. They hoped that God would be for them. That God, his favor, would continue to shine upon them. Dare I say that they would grow, they would produce fruit, and there would be no condemnation? Again, we know that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. That promise comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 9. That they would multiply and inhabit and bring forth children, something that's been happening in the kingdom of God for centuries, millennia. 
Galatians chapter 4, I believe it is, the Apostle Paul compares the two women, Sarah and Hagar, as two covenants. One covenant that would bring forth children. In that time, seeming desolate and being broken, that, when that woman, the free woman, Sarah, would bring forth many children, children to righteousness. The sons of God would be made known. That promise comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 10 through 12. In Ezekiel 36, 13 through 15, we read about the reverse of shame and insult. Again, I highlight Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. When we study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth and realizing that all prophecy points to Jesus and the kingdom that is manifest in and through his people. The shame of the Garden of Eden, the shame that Israel endured as they walked in disobedience is reversed. Gathering from the nations and being brought into the land. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. Again, this is essentially what is being highlighted in the book of Hebrews, that all the promises of the land and the Sabbath were all found in Christ Jesus. They would be brought into the land. Jesus is the land. Jesus is the ultimate anti-type fulfillment of everything that the prophets hoped for. That favor of God, that when they lived in the land, they they were favored. In Christ, we are favored. Amen. They would be cleansed of idolatry. It's only Jesus Christ that could set my mind on the things that are above. It's only through the understanding of Christ, setting my eyes on him, understanding his teachings, submitting to his teachings, that I am able to be established as one who sets my mind on things that are above. I'm not captivated by idols, that the strongholds are demolished, as per 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That we would demolish the strongholds and bring all thoughts captive to Christ. We are cleansed of that idolatry in Jesus. A new spirit would be given to his people, a spirit that wouldn't seek idols, right? Amen. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. That his covenant would be seen, that we would be his people and he would be our God. Again, we see this as the final declaration of the full manifestation of the new heavens, new earth, the kingdom of God, the resurrected reality in Revelation chapter 21. Salvation from uncleanliness. Grain and fam- and grain would be multiplied and there would be no famine. Again, I highlighted that as the favor of God. That's Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 29 through 30. That there would be a repentance seen in his people. Again, we, we know that reality. That there would be breath and life, resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 4. There would be one nation, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 22. King David would reign as one shepherd. Again, Jesus manifesting from the line of David. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24. They would live on the land for generations to come. We know the kingdom of God manifesting through the church is an eternal reality. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 26. A covenant of peace and dwelling in their midst. Again, that's what we celebrate every first Sunday of the month here at Blue Point Bible Church. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating the reality, that covenant of peace by his body and his blood. A covenant that put to death the enmity of God. And he dwells in our midst because of that. Ezekiel chapter 37, 26 through 27. Sanctification, that his people would be sanctified. Again, do a study on that in the New Testament. It's by Jesus we are sanctified. You will be glutted at my table. I like this one. Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 19 through 21. When Israel's enemies are put to death and put asunder, they will be sitting at the feast table of God and they will be glutted. They'll be full. They'll be satisfied. They'll be given the increase. And then because of these judgments, Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. Because of these judgments, everything will be made clear that 
the truth of who God's people are, the manifestation of the sons of God would be made known. Well, the third question I asked you was, how is this going to happen? And what we know is we read into chapters 38 through 39, you read this whole prophecy, Ezekiel 36 through 39, we know that this was the enemies of God were going to be put asunder. And sure enough, if you follow the story, if you follow the narrative, by the time Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he's making it clear that the adversaries of God are not these nations that are set up against Israel. The adversaries of God are themselves, the Israel themselves, the, the teachers of Israel that began to heap up commandment and commandment, their own teachings and traditions, and began to use this as a, a way to move into their own sneaky ways. They became the enemy. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who God has longed to gather as a chick under his angst, you will be left desolate because you, st- you killed the prophets that were sent to you. You continually failed to obey. It's not the enemies that are making you disobey. It's you that are being disobedient and God having to send these enemies upon you. So now, in the Old Testament, we saw that national, those national enemies, Gog and Magog. In the New Testament, the Gog and Magog, to borrow a quote from Kurt Simmons, popular preterist writer, Gog and Magog are the Jews in Rome that are teamed up against the church in the first century that seemed to have their victory for a moment and then they were put asunder. 586 BC, they were promised a restoration. That restoration did not come after the 70 years in captivity. Then came those years of darkness. And then came the Messiah. The Messiah brought about the ultimate fulfillment. Not the natural fulfillments, but the ultimate fulfillment of how the kingdom of God would be seen in and through God's people. So I conclude with the point of what was the goal? And well, let's just assert that Gog and Magog, that thousand years that we read about in Revelation chapters 19 and 20 where Gog and Magog is again mentioned after Ezekiel chapter 38 through 39, that was AD 70, um, AD 66 to AD 70, the Roman Jewish War where both of those people that came against the church were put asunder and the saints were gathered in Pella victorious, celebrating the fulfillment of the hope of Israel, celebrating the new covenant reality that they had, that they were now able to bear fruit, that God was for them, his favor was upon them. The reverse of shame and insult had been removed because now they were standing upon that foundation of listening to the teachings of Jesus. Listen to my son in whom I am well pleased. They were saved. A new spirit had been put in his people. The one shepherd was reigning as king. A covenant of peace had been set between Jew and Gentile and between the people of God and God. He dwelt in their midst. It was being seen from them, being seen as the jewel of God's crown, the stars shining in the sky. Such a beautiful reality. So what does that mean for us today? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 32 I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you, O Israel. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways. Verse 36, the nations that are left round about you will know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and do it. What we know today is that God is faithful. God has fulfilled his promise just as he said he would. He vindicated his people, vindicated his name to set inside of us, the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that we would declare his faithfulness, that we would point out the fulfillment of these prophecies, that we would know he is the God of the living and the dead, that he is the God of resurrection, that he has restored his people, that they would know I am the Lord. 
that we would look to his judgments, know his judgments, know what he has given and what he has fulfilled and why he has brought forth judgments, and that we would proclaim those realities. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 23. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. Amen. And then to conclude with Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 7, and then verses 21 through 29. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. The nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Starting at verse 21. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all nations will see my judgment, which I have executed in my hand, which I have laid on them. Again, as I just mentioned. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. Right? God's judgment doesn't get any more clear than what he did in AD 70. And how the saints survived in the mountains of Pella by listening to the words of Jesus. Listen to my son with whom I am well pleased. Again, favor is the idea. It's the goal. It's the hope. If you listen to Jesus, your hope is fulfilled. The nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity because they acted treacherously against me, and I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hands of their adversaries, and on them they fell by the sword. According to their uncleanliness and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them. I hid my face from them. We need to know that. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of the house of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget the disgrace and all the treachery which they perpetuated against me when they live securely in their own land with no one to make them fall. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of many nations." They will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gather them again into their own land. I will leave none of them there any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer, nor will I pour out my spirit, nor will, for I will have poured out my spirit on the whole house of Israel, declares the Lord God. God has poured out his spirit. God has fulfilled this reality that Ezekiel chapters 36 through 37 is pointing to. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. The saints being gathered in Pella, being able to boast that their enemies were being put asunder because they stood upon the wisdom of God, watching their enemies fall as the storm comes and they fall into the sea as the sand. That was the resurrection reality. That was what Israel longed for and hoped for. We have that today. Where his presence is, his spirit is. And that is found in and through Jesus Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for all that you fulfilled for the grand, glorious reality we now have. The resurrected reality we live in, Lord. Thank you for placing us in you, that our adversaries will always be confounded. That there's nothing that can come up against your righteousness, your power, and your truth, Lord. Thank you for setting us on that, such a foundation. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for clarity, not confusion, Lord. Thank you for putting to death the enemies of your people. Continue to give us the victory, Lord. Continue to allow your righteousness to be seen in through your church. Continue to allow us to shine like the jewels in a crown and the stars in the firmament, Lord. We magnify your holy name. We thank you for a righteousness that achieved what we never could. 
Glory be to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.